0: Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from UK drama chiefs Piers Wenger from the BBC, ITV's Polly Hill and Channel 4's Caroline Hollick about how they've coped with the challenges presented by COVID-19 and the Black Lives Matter movement this year and their development and commissioning strategies moving into 2021. Content London On Demand, the virtual version of C21's annual international TV conference, is taking place online this year, featuring a range of keynote speakers, panel discussions, case studies and exclusive digital premieres. Last week, UK drama chiefs Piers Wenger from the BBC, ITV's Polly Hill and Channel 4's Caroline Hollick spoke with Stephen Armstrong – about how they've coped with the challenges presented by COVID-19 and the Black Lives Matter movement this year and their development and commissioning strategies moving into 2021. The three execs outline some of the shows they're proudest of, those they've got coming up and the new ways in which they're looking to tell stories moving forwards.
1: My name is Stephen Armstrong, and I'm going to be talking to the drama controllers of the three big UK linear channels. That's Piers from the BBC, Polly from ITV, and Caroline from Channel 4. And the reason we're doing this, obviously, on Zoom and it's all on demand, is because of the mayhem that COVID has been causing across the world. So uh, that may seem like a good place to start. How has COVID affected you guys in terms of the way you do business? What Obviously, there's been huge lockdowns, there's been all sorts of problems. Has it made any fundamental
2: changes, and how have you coped? why don't you start? Well, yes, (laughs) it has meant (laughs) fundamental changes, you know, not least of all because it's been, you know, practically impossible to get into the same room as any of the people that we would normally talk to every day, producers and writers. Um, But Zoom has proved to be a very, you know, efficient tool and I think we've been, you know, speaking virtually, to the same number of people we would ordinarily obviously it wreaked complete havoc in the kind of production sector you know huge challenges to overcome there. huge you know impact on cost and I guess it has shaped viewer behavior as well you know I think people have had so much time locked in at home that they have you know had more time to watch content and I think that's accelerated you know the move towards on demand it's given people more time to watch a greater range of Content and I think it's shaped tastes. I think audiences are more demanding and more seeking kind of bold and original content than they, they ever have before so I think it's it's been huge and that's before we talk about Black Lives Matters and what happened in the summer and how that's impacted what we do but from a Covid point of view yeah it's been it's been pretty it much. It has
3: been it's been crazy for us it was it was really tough at the beginning when everything stopped and I think you know what producers felt was that commissioning stopped as well there was a period of time when you know when we first went into lockdown when we didn't know when we were going to be able to start shooting again when the shows that we'd commissioned would deliver so it felt really tough I think for everybody but what's great now is that you know we have got shows back up and running it's really different the shoots are really different and as Pierce said they're more expensive they take longer but we are doing it you know I think we've got 12 shows shooting between now and Christmas or from when we started so that we've got content next year and it's a real challenge for everyone but it's incredible you know what's been achieved and we're commissioning again you know which I think for producers is a is a relief that we can start to look now about the future and what we might need and we started commissioning. So it's been tough, but it's been tough for everyone, hasn't it? It's been a very strange time to be doing everything on Zoom and having read-throughs on Zoom and press launches on Zoom. It's a very strange time but we've you know we found a way through it.
4: And I think on the upside there's been a real democratization that's happened through everything going on Zoom. I mean I don't live in London anyway I live in Leeds but I was spending a lot of my week in London and I know that the the out of London Indies do feel suddenly everyone's on a level playing field. Well, everyone's, <laughs> you know, everyone's got exactly the same slightly unsatisfactory unsatisfa- yes. uh, Zoom experience so I do think that's been something that's been a good thing. I mean at Channel 4 I think we got hit particularly hard by the drop in advertising revenue so we had to move shows that were earmarked for 2020 into 2021 and that's had a knock-on effect into 2022 so we've probably got slightly fewer opportunities than I would have had with taking the COVID crisis aside but like like Polly, we're also now commissioning new projects looking further down the line and You know, I'm trying to see it as a really good thing that actually we're commissioning for a while away. Therefore, we've got the opportunity to get scripts completely perfect to to go into every shoot we go into. I think will be perfectly prepped rather than that. Sometimes you get a bit of a sort of scramble to get things together. So, yeah, trying to look at the upside. And the the important
3: thing I would also say on audiences is while Absolutely Piers is absolutely right um, in terms of audience behaviour, there is also, you know, we had a summer of repeats because we'd run out of shows because, you know, we literally make a show and then put it on the telly. But but seeing when you've got new content, just how big an audience can be. So for you know, going into COVID, we had Quiz, which was just, it was a brilliant show, but it was just was, you know, wonderful to see how many people would come to that. And then as coming out of it, Dare's, you know, so you can have big numbers now, you know, audiences are looking for that content. So while it might be harder to get them, um, they are there. And that's a that's a positive thing we can take out of this.
2: I think people are there kind of and and more desperate for content than it feels like they have been for years and you know as you say Polly it's been possible to get really big audiences yeah. to to uh, you know f- in our case a kind of real range of drama whether it whether it, it's normal people or I may destroy you or Salisbury poisonings that you know iPlayer has proved a really effective tool in helping us to reach some of those underserved audiences or those audiences that BBC has traditionally sort of struggled to
1: reach. And you were saying Polly that you had 12 things in production now is that for the two of you, obviously you're different size broadcasters with different um, needs. Would you say that you, broadly speaking, have a similar percentage? How many shows do you, are currently filming for, you know, in the UK right now, I guess, for, for linear channels?
3: Well, I don't know how many. I mean, this is unusual. So what we were looking at, because obviously the cost of drama went up as well, so we're we're sort of looking at what dramas we needed to get back up and running in order to have dramas next year. So these were all the shows that would have shot. Some of them would have been out already. You know, it was all the shows that were in different stages of prep and ready to go um, so that we've now got drama from January on. Because as I said, we don't sit on shows. We literally make them and put them out. So I don't, I mean, I would actually have no idea how many shows are shooting. Uh, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) we've got a lot of shows across a few years. So I don't even know how many shows... I would have shooting costs this year, but we've got 12 for the first few months of next year. And then we start again, having shows pick up again in from January, you know, it, every month we've got shows kind of starting up again, assuming that that's all going to be able to happen, but at the moment it looks like we can. And is that the same pattern for you two? Yeah, we've got, um, what
4: well, we've got film, we've picked up with Actor Bridge, which was, um, which I've stopped filming halfway through. We're shooting My Name's Lizzie, which is our drama looking into the botched investigation into the murder of Rachel McHale, with Neve Algar, that's shooting. We're shooting Before We Die, which is uh, from uh, Walter, of Walter Fame, his production company, which is a remake of a Swedish drama, uh, which is filming at the moment. But that's going to be Belgium and Bristol, so we've been managing to do some international filming. And we've managed to film two of the I Am series, the second series of Dominic Savage's kind of very female focused anthology drama. And Hollyoaks is back as well. So yeah, we've got and running with quite a bit of stuff.
2: How about you, Piers? I actually don't know how many we've got that are filming (laughs) currently. You know, it it feels kind of like business as usual now. You know, there are are things that started filming kind of post post-lockdown that we're just seeing the, the cuts of the first episode of, like, you know, Pursuit of Love, Emily Mortimer's adaptation, and that, you know, it really, it really lifted my spirits when that came through, because it's the first time in a long time that I've had the pleasure of going, oh, that this is a new thing, and it's the first time I'm seeing it, the first time I'm meeting these characters, and it, it really did sort of remind you of how much, you know, how much joy these jobs used to bring, and, and we've had it easy compar- compared to so many people, but that pleasure hasn't been there, because of the hiatus. So, you know, since since sort of July, it's been great to see, you know, so many new shows up and running and some of those shows that were part shot like Line of Duty or Vigils the Saran Jones submarine drama we've got coming up you know seeing those actually start to complete and knowing that we've got those big sort of super tanker series coming through in the edit for next year I'm with
4: you I'm so excited by how hard the producers have worked to get these shows back on the road particularly something like Actly where we'd gotten sort of you know got into the first month of filming and I thought there'd be a real noticeable shift on screen where suddenly you know you'd had loads of corridors full of kids and then everything was really sparsely populated and the director's been so clever in how they've framed shots and just kept the energy up and yeah I've been my heart's gone out to producers because it's been really hard for them like you say Polly it's expensive it's
3: time-consuming the protocols are really difficult but they're really rising to the challenge. Well, what has been really impressive as well is that you don't see all that when you watch it so we've got again like lots of shows and none of them are set in a Covid world so you know we've got this brilliant new show which is a kind of rear window police procedural show which Noel Clark's leading in and it's all set in Manchester just when we started shooting just when Manchester looked like it was you know the only place which was still having some kind of restrictions on it and yet they were managing to shoot in studios and on location and it doesn't you know you'll watch it and it will be the show that we wanted it to be which is a piece of a great crime show and an escapist crime show rather than a show about COVID and we've got Manhunt coming back and, you know, that's a period show. So it needs to not feel like now. So, you know, and you and just seeing all those shows coming back and thinking, actually, audiences will just get to enjoy them in the way that we wanted to enjoy them. They were harder to bring to screen, but actually for the audience... I don't think that they'll see that or notice
1: that. So obviously 2020 has had a massive impact, but as you went into that year, you would have had views as to what your strategy for your channel was, what your strategy for commissioning, the shows you had, the shows you wanted. Have things changed? Are you now sitting here looking for different stuff? I guess the question is, what what, what are your strategies for the next 12 to 18 months and have they changed in light of the the chaotic 2020?
3: I mean, ITV is very particular in its remit, which is it wants to make big mainstream populist content that can bring in as much of this country to watch it as possible. So in that sense, I think it's made us even clearer in what that is, which is you know, in order to get live audiences in the way that we need them, because of course catch up is huge now, but you still need that live audience to be a good size in order to get a good catch up. So I think it's just made us realise that what we're we're looking for big event pieces, you know, so big event drama, big event and entertainment shows, and when you make something that's really good and you can strip it across a week or you can do something with it that makes people think, I've got to watch this live, then you will get them there. But it's sort of made us even more focused into the purity, I think, of what ITV is and what it's offering to the audience
1: and does that change do you need the do you need the water cooler to be bigger are you looking for something which has packs more of a punch
3: we're looking for a range i mean itv consists of making something like dares which does feel like it does that and absolutely gets everybody talking about it and everybody writing about it but also We're also doing, you know, really brilliant mainstream procedural shows that can appeal in the way that McDonald's and Dodds and Vanderbilt did. You know, so we do a massive range. You know, they just need to appeal in a big way, which is slightly different to everybody else, I think, which is where we're trying to get. you know, an audience, cross-generational audience to watch live as opposed to be feeding different content to to slightly different audiences. And that can be the quizzes, the flesh and blood, which can be, you know, really fun and stripped across a week and, you know, great cast and and really entertaining or, you know, all the true crimes or the procedural crimes. And what we're looking for is actually more of that, but also what can do that job sitting outside crime, which is always the biggest challenge for us.
1: How about you too, Caroline, what's your view of the next 12 to 18 months in terms of what, you, what you're trying to do?
4: In terms of what we're looking for, I think a Channel for drama always shines a light on who we are today. It has a really sort of fresh perspective. It's saying something new. And that absolutely stands in a post-COVID world, um, if, if, if not more important, but, um, that drama's got a really strong voice. So while I'm not looking to make drama that directly reflects where we're at right now um, in terms of lockdown dramas or drama that feel too close to where we are right now, I think drama always has to be transporting and um, and challenging and take you to another place. Um, so I think that the strategy that we had beforehand of always looking for dramas that shine a light on who we are today absolutely stands. And for us, a big priority is four partners, which feel like a very Channel 4, quite distinctively Channel 4 shape. We've had a lot of success with the Jack Thorne trilogy, uh, most recently The Accident and then Deadwater Fell at the top of this year. But I think what's great about a Channel 4 four-parter is that you can have a huge range in tone. So Adult Material, which went out in October, was a four-parter which had had a really distinctive take on the porn industry, which absolutely felt like a a world that we're very hard for other broadcasters to dig dig into. And then we've got It's Sin coming up in January, which is actually five-parter Russell T. Davies managed to sneak an extra part in because he's just so brilliant, which is about the HIV epidemic in the 1980s. But it's a very modern take on what it means to be young and LGBTQ and just ask questions about the world that I think will help people to make sense of the difficult place that a lot of us find ourselves in.
2: Piers, how about you? So so we are, you know, we make a lot and we are, you know, we, we serve audience needs in different ways. You know, we make lots of shows that are there to bring the whole audience together that you know are likely to be big on linear and we're also you know we also make series make dramas that that are there to serve particular parts of the audience so we're, we you know and some dramas we want to be big and broad and some we want to really really focus down on specific demographics and and sort of you know super serve their needs and I guess I guess the sort of big to go back to your original question sort of if there's been a shift it just feels like with so much choice what the audience are really looking for and I think it's still what they come to the UK terrestrials for is those stories that have real potency and truth to them that are you know that might be slightly less glossy but which can really really kind of speak to their emotional lives and and kind of what's you know what's going on in the in the kind of world around them in the UK but you know that that can take many different shapes and forms and so I suppose our in in kind of headlines our, our kind of strategy has two different kind of arenas to it one which is you know which quite linear focus and the other which is which is focused on on iPlayer and on demand you know we can use both of those platforms and the potency of each of those platforms to connect with different audiences and as you're talking about connecting with different audiences as you say there, there is particularly with
1: all of your digital offerings there is that opportunity but as the threat of the well not the threat as the as the broadcasting environment becomes more varied there's this Ability that some SWOTs have of being very targeted in their audiences. And to some degree, all of you share a responsibility to bring audiences together. So all of you will have a role to be watched by more than one demographic in some way. And that's the beauty of linear terrestrial television, is that at the right moment, it, you know, it's the last thing we've got apart from the name of our prime minister to draw us all together. And how do you balance those sort of pressures? How do you deal with a, a, an SWOT environment that's trying to snap away at your 16 to 18s female compared to your need to make sure? sure that at seven o'clock on a weekday evening you've got a decent chunk of the British public paying attention to you? I
0: think
2: you can do both can't you and and you know and, and some of those big broad shows can pull in really big audiences as well they're not kind of exclude you know mainstream doesn't you know means I think bringing all different demographics together so I don't think the two things are sort of mutually exclusive you know from a BBC perspective we need to be able to to do both.
3: To get a big hit you need to pull in a range of audiences. That's, that's what the difference is between a, a show that doesn't get a big audience, does get a big audience, is that you've pulled in, you know, a broad range of ages. But I think what we can't do, you know, and there's a conversation about how we kind of move forward, but ITV1 at the moment cannot do a specifically young, skewed show. So that sort of appealing to that young teenage audience is tough for us. They aren't coming. You know, they'll come to des, they will come to those big shows, they'll come to Quiz, all those big shows pull in a kind of range of, of ages but, and also some of your more traditional procedural shows actually you'll find that people will watch as a family you know even if then it's not the ones that people are tweeting and talking about you'll find that the actual audience is big and broad but yeah that ability to target an audience which I think the BBC I think you have a bet you you are better at being able to do that but we still need to get a big broad audience so it's harder for us to target a specific age group
4: we definitely um, are looking for dramas that target Target that younger age group the end of the fucking world second series didn't land particularly big numbers on linear but did extraordinarily well on all four and I think for us those shows if you can get them right are going to become even more important as we sort of grow all four as a platform but it's a it's a demographic you kind of chase at your peril you have to be really good you have to bring your A game you have to be I made Destroy you. you have to you know you have to give them material that's just better
3: than everything you know, else you have to be really good now yeah. on anything to get if you make a weird real- really good show the chances are people will come and watch it but there is so much content now that unless it is really really brilliant you risk not getting a big audience you know you might make a good show and it might not find that audience because you know everyone has to be on their A game now which is actually quite exciting you know I I think that that just makes us all have to be the best we can be.
2: I think I think it it is really it's a really big and important question because I guess it's about what your expectations are of what a title is going to do and I I guess for for those younger skewing shows those bbc3 shows or, or iplayer shows you know i i think it's just really important that we keep on doing them from a kind of talent development perspective but also to just keep telling the audience that they're there because i think part of part of the challenge of where of kind of where we're at now is we do a i may destroy a normal people and it, it feels like you know great we've got two shows that that really resonate with young audiences and then will we won't have anything for six months so where i really want to get asked to is, is where there is a kind of regular a regular offering for young audiences. And then beyond, you know, the, the more the more of those shows that you commission, the more likely you are to get a hit, you know, and, and to remind the audience that you are capable of making that kind of thing. But I think if you're just dipping in and out of it, because that particular part of the audience is so well served by the S SVODs, I think it's very difficult for them to know that they're there in the first
1: place. Talking of the SVODs and, and international generally, you all have the responsibility and- and indeed, that's where your audiences respond very well, I think, to shows which have a very British, distinctively British flair to them. They're telling local stories. But we're still in the age where it's hard to afford to put together the top notch drama without some international co-production money. So how do you balance the the world of television with the national television, if you like? How do you, How do you create good local
2: content and yet be aware that you need to work in some way internationally? I mean, from our point of view, we never start with thinking internationally. You know, we always start with a story that has has some aspect of Britishness at its heart and you know that can take many shape or shapes or forms but you know that's true of pretty much all all our content and you know what we've found and I'm sure it's the same I imagine it's the same for Polly and Caroline is that the more distinctive the writing is the more distinctive the idea is the more the more authored it is the more appealing it is to those American platforms because they're all looking for the same thing that we are something that sort of feels real feels authentic feels potent and no matter where a story is set, if, that, if that's the case, then audiences internationally will, you know, not in all cases, but often feel the same way and want to do it.
3: We're the same. I mean, my job is to find content for a British audience. You know, it's to find content for ITV1. So w- when we do that and we green light it and then it depending on the size of the budget, you know, and not all shows are three million an hour. You know, some of them are much more affordable and containable and don't need such huge international. But some of them do. But that is then down to the producer. And we'll talk about it and people might want to, you know, talk to ITV, American And that's all fine. And we can become involved in that. But in the end, you know, I can only say whether I think it will work for us. And we're very specific in terms of the sort of content that we think will appeal to the UK audience. And then we have to, you know, we've we've never yet not managed to fund that show elsewhere. But they obviously have the producers have the rest of the world in order to go and sell it to so either you do it as a big co-pro because you need the money on screen or in some things like white house farm afterwards because it was such a beautifully made show that they sold it to hbo max after so you can just do there's different ways of of selling your show but that's down to the producer rather than us how about for you
4: well i think we've got a really good partnership with some um streamers that we share a sensibility with hbo max co-produced it's a sin with us and we all wanted the same thing from the show and i feel like that's been a real shift in the way that some of the American streamers and broadcasters are looking at British content, in they're not asking you to make it feel international for their audiences because audiences now are so sophisticated and have such a wealth of sort of foreign language drama and drama from all parts of the world that I think that there's an appetite for us to make a show that lands with a British audience but has a universality that sort of speaks elsewhere. But you don't have to do that with compromise. One of the other things we're also doing is some really interesting sort of pre buys and acquisitions. So we're going to be the first terrestrial window for The Great which is a Hulu series about young Catherine the Great starring Nicholas Holt who's like Channel 4 alumni and it's a cracking show if I had the chance to co-produce it I would have done it's massively feminist kind of period rip-roaring piece from the makers of um, *Of The Favourite it's got a real favourite vibe to it and we're also co-producing with um, Viaplay a psychological thriller starring Connie Nielsen which is a kind of meditation on having the menopause as well as being a thriller it feels like there's a real channel for DNA there, but it's a really exciting kind of collaboration, um, and it's allowing us at a time where we're sort of we don't have the financial firepower that we maybe had a while ago. It's allowing us to get more hours on screen, and and that for me is a really good thing.
1: Talking of HBO, I noticed HBO have revived In Treatment, the uh, classic psychoanalyst drama, which has a cost of two. And I wonder if that's a response to um, social distancing. Do you do you think that the things you can commission in the next twelve to eighteen months will have to bear in mind? I suppose anything that happened this year. Let's think that that we have had COVID, but at the same time, we've had this enormous summer of political turmoil and unrest. So we're looking at, you know, the arrival of Black Lives Matter making a very firm statement about something that has been bubbling up in the TV industry for a good few years now. The demand for diversity in the storytelling and and behind the camera. And do you think that all of the things that have been going on in 2020 means that we will be seeing different things in our shows, either shows that are easier to film or shows that are more committed to the principles that the is starting to demand? Is our TV changed by this year? I think Um, you just um, answered, Joe. Question. This.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't think of anything else. So, yes, yes, it
3: does.
1: Yes,
2: absolutely.
3: It will be. I mean, in terms of, we'd already commissioned what would be shot in the next year, so it's not. You know, we made um, isolation stories and unsaid stories as a direct reaction to both you know being in isolation and black lives matter but they were very specific direct reaction but in terms of what we're making that we're committed to what we're making so we wouldn't suddenly we won't you know and we've got shows that need international travel that still seem to be finding a way to do that um and you know shows with big casts and all of that In terms of a reaction to the Black Lives Matter and diversity, yes. I mean, I don't think it's just this summer, though, that started it, but it's absolutely accelerated everybody. And, you know, and I think we've all been talking for a long time about how we make proper changes in the broadcast that actually bring about proper change on screen rather than just a conversation and you know I know everyone's been doing amazing things and when we've just been trying to you know look at who makes our shows who we develop we reached out you know a long time ago now about just trying to change up who was writing our shows and making our shows and what stories we were telling and we realised that if we didn't make quite a proactive reach out to people to try and encourage different people to be writing our shows we were getting more of the same shows
2: when you look at the data for the number of ethnic minority creators and writers who are author, authoring shows that are being made—it was—it was really very little a change, and I think that you know. What happened over the summer just really forced us to take a long, hard look at why and and confront some, some difficult truths. And I think that probably was the same for the whole of the television industry all over the world.
3: I agree. I think there was a lot of conversations, wasn't there? And then you sort of go, yeah. we can't keep looking and saying change isn't coming quick enough. How do we accelerate that change? Mm. And I think it did bring everyone together to say, okay, we keep talking about this. We have to find ways to accelerate it now and to allow greater opportunity all the way down, all the way through our podcast. And I think the shift has been away
4: from sort of the white establishment and the the kind of television establishment across the board going, what schemes can we do to bring more people into the industry, to give a leg up to Black and Asian filmmakers and have started going, what are we doing wrong? what have we not been answering Mm. ourselves as gatekeepers we have to take that responsibility and i think that's the thing that's got to be lasting change that cannot be a moment i've had producers who have panicked that that shows by rise of color need to kind of go into production as soon as possible because this might be a window that's going to close and it's not We're, we're all kind of aligned with that and we are all taking responsibility for the fact that yes change only comes if if the gatekeepers make the right decisions and and that feels like a genuine revolution
2: i think what 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 feels also feels really exciting is that you know you know as we sort of get back into commissioning and into green lighting is that there are there are a lot of really really good entertaining mainstream shows coming through from from em creators and writers and and you know i think that certainly from the bbc's point of view we've got quite often when it has come to telling black stories that they've they been on the topic of race and obviously there's a place for that there are big stories to be told in that arena but it's also great that you know we found some shows and green lighting shows that just, you know, exist just on the strength of their mainstream bones and the fact that there are stories that are going to feel emotionally resonant and exciting to everybody in a world that you you really kind of want to spend spend time in. And and that for me is where the kind of next turn of the wheel is in terms of the BBC is wanting to have, you know, a show that has the reach of Dr. Foster but is authored and 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 you know performed by you know diverse talent. So that's good and big for us. <laughs> I mean, I interviewing Russell Toby around the time of the HBO
1: drama *Looking*, which is a set in San Francisco about a group of gay men, and he, he said the thing he loved about the drama was that no one in it was waking up thinking, "Oh, I'm so gay." It was a, it was their life. <laughs> and gay was like they were, had red hair, you know. It was they faced problems which were associated with their sexuality, but it was not, it, it was not every moment of their day was not spent dealing with this. It was just, it was just a story about some people, and I think he f- he felt that was what was that was the next step, which seems to be what you're talking
3: about. Well,
4: I'm I'm really gutted not to have been able to work on Abby Jay's, um piece that Polly's doing, Riches, which for me just was such an absolutely cracking family saga, really entertaining, really bold. But, you know, I'm really happy it's on ITV because it deserves to have masses and masses of people watching it. But yeah, I'm, I'm gutted on that one, definitely. But
3: It's a brilliant show. I mean, you know, but that was also something that they came to me ages ago, wanting to develop a big family saga um and it's aspirational and dynastic and yes it is a black owned cosmetics company but actually it's just got loads of secrets and loads of mischief and great characters and it's incredibly mainstream
1: so looking at the drama business as a whole which is a big way to ask a question, but um there's one way in which you would look at what you guys were doing and say well it would be holding tight to what you've got you retreat you'd stick with what was safe and conventional and but actually i think all three of you are doing things i've never seen you do before. Forward. There's experimental, interesting new forms of programming coming out. And then there's the things that you love anyway. How do you how do you see the drama business and how do you keep punching at that level? I mean,
4: I feel like we can't compete with at Channel 4, we can't compete with the, the the streamers and the bigger broadcasters in terms of in terms of money. You know, I don't think anyone's expecting us to be part of handing out the biggest budgets, but we can be the best partners and the best creative partners. And I think that's how all of us in the terrestrial broadcasters feel. We want to be there for the producers and we want to provide a Really viable alternative, and in the end, I think I do think people want their, t- their shows to go out on British TV because that's what we all watch. And I think you can kind of tear your hair out to the cast component about Netflix and their very deep pockets and Amazon, and and they're obviously making really amazing programs, particularly British-focused ones that are a real com- competition. But I think people have a passion for British television, and I think our job is to be the best working partners for them and give those British writers and and
2: directors. And produces a voice. I think, I think you've got to listen to the audience. You know, I think the audience are, are kind of really curious and, and uh, have never been more demanding of, of an experience that feels kind of fresh and different. And that can be within, you know, that can be within existing genres. But as 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 Polly was saying, it's about how you about how you spin those traditional genres so they feel sort of really fresh and different and, and innovative. But it's also about listening to, it's also about listening to writers. And and making sure that the kind of the pool of talent that you're working with is you know diverse in 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 every sense of the word and that you're going to empower them and listen to them and give them chances to do work in the kind of shape that they want to create it in or or you know in a tone that they, that feels represents them best artistically and and I guess that that's what you know that's I think that's what we are most naturally drawn to as a way of kind of making the decision between what we do and don't make it's how we best represent the creative community in how we find those ideas that are you know are going to satisfy the audience's tastes and curiosity and so also looking ahead is there two questions really one is there
1: something that you've got already that you're really excited about and really can't wait for it to break i mean that doesn't have to be one single show but you know what, what's making you think wait till they see this um and secondly is there something that you really wish you had that you're really looking for no one's shown to you just yet you haven't seen the script but you know that this is you know this would be a good time for something for something like this so what what have you got the it's really really excited about and what are you looking for?
4: Um, I could read off a whole list of all I'm excited about everything we've got coming up. I've mentioned a couple of them. One of the shows I do want to mention is um, called The Birth of Daniel F. Harris by a relatively new writer called Pete Jackson, which is a end of the fucking world s brilliantly exciting vod friendly bingeable series about a young man who's been kept hidden away by his dad for many years who, and um, finally gets sort of thrown out into the real world and it allows you to tell a big story about what it means to be a teenage boy but through quite a heightened premise so really really excited about that. And in terms of what I'm looking for that I haven't got, when I was making adult material and we we're in the middle of all the conversations about how to get that show on air, at more than one point, I definitely thought I was going to get fired because what, what the story Lucy wanted to tell was pushing the boundaries in so many ways. And I want more pieces like that. I want people to send me stuff that's going to get me fired, basically.
3: You know, I think Viewpoint, I'm really excited about. I have wanted to work with Noel Clark for a long time. And this is the show that he felt was right for him. So that's exciting to me and it's a really different take on a police procedure which are really hard to find and it's because it does have that point of view of being sort of rear window through surveillance and it's just it's just very 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 well done and it just feels like it's got a different way of telling a procedural story and I think that's for us at ITV that's really exciting when you take something that feels familiar and then find a fresh way of doing it and also Too Close with Emily Watson, which is just a great psychological thriller based on Clara Solomon's book. And it's just wonderful portrayal of women and and how we, madness and how we view women. But then we've got some wonderful true stories, Pembrokeshire Murders that's coming through with Luke Evans and, you know, some really exciting, we're doing Stephen. Frank Potter Voices adapted. So, lots of things that are genuinely exciting. In terms of new stuff, my big thing has always been how do we find those series that can connect with an audience outside of crime and feel that they can have enough story to them, uh, but have a different take? So, you know, doing Quiz had such a joy to it but it was in that true crime and whether you can find something that's you know we always want to entertain but that can have big stories and have something substantial but can do that so we've got Finding Alice which is about grief with Keely which will go out next year which um is in that category and and then obviously we keep talking about Abyss but Abyss sits in that category because it's just heightened but family drama and more of those sorts of shows I mean we develop a lot and don't always commission them because they don't always feel that they've got enough story that they're grabbing hold of an audience quickly enough but um, landing some of those shows so there's a real kind of range in terms of the sorts of stories we're offering audiences is good.
2: I guess sort of in terms of what we've got coming up the Serpent, which is a true crime piece, but it's a kind of very different type of true crime. It's a sort of it's all set in Thailand in the nineteen seventies, and it's about a a kind of serial killer who targeted European backpackers. And stars Jenna Coleman and Tahar Rahim. And it's just, it's just that that thing that, that I know audiences are going to be really, you know, craving come the new year. This is going to hurt, you know, in that kind of non-genre space, sort of, you know, it's it's sort of Adam Kay's um, you know medical memoir starring Ben Wishaw. We've also got Vigil, which is um, a show that's been made by World, but in Scotland, it's all set on a nuclear submarine base and on a nuclear submarine patrolling the water. In, in Scotland and it's it stars Saranne Jones and Rose Leslie and it's about a you know an investigation aboard that nuclear submarine and a bigger and the bigger conspiracy. And it's just exciting because it feels like a, a show kind of made in Scotland you know with Scottish portrayal and which but which you know has the has the potential to be a sort of really big mainstream thriller that that we all kind of sit down and watch and love on a, on a kind of Sunday night so I guess sort of you know those those are the things that that are really sort of coming to the boil that I'm I'm sort of excited about I guess in terms of sort of what what I'm envying what I'm sort of coveting elsewhere I think it would be you know I think we want to push outside of the traditional genres and look at the look into those spaces that are Horror, you know, supernatural, or or kind of you know bigger international crime stories that that can be beautifully made with all of those with with all of the same kind of love and care and attention to detail and authorship that The Serpent has, but you know feel like a different a different type of true crime. So, the boys, the um you know the Amazon show, um you know a superhero show. I think we'd be we'd really like to look into some of those less traditional genre spaces to find the kind of British-made British-authored versions of those. Shows shows to to kind of really keep audiences stimulated.
1: Caroline I rather gave you short shrift because I asked you for one so do you want to add some more now so I really
4: do now definitely (laughs) so we've got we've got Screw coming up written by Rob Williams which is a prison drama which is one of those things where when I first started this job I said oh the one genre I'm definitely not going to do is prison drama because it's too bleak and then Rob's script landed in my lap and it was so funny and so authentic you know Rob's been a prison visitor for years so he knows that world inside out and it felt like it was in the spirit of classic Channel 4 series where you take a world that people think that they know and you offer them really entertaining stories about characters that they fall in love with but there's something about prison drama I think that probably will resonate <laughs> over the next few years <laughs> it, it's feeling a little bit too close to home. Um, I'm really excited about Chivalry, which is written by Sarah Soleimani and Steve Coogan, which we've got coming up. Uh, We're going to start shooting next year. They've written it together. It's our take on the Me Too movement, told with like so much fun and filth. It's a kind of fundamentally a love story about two unlikely people played by Sarah and Steve who who fall in love against the backdrop of a Me Too scandal in Hollywood. And um, that feels, again, just if Channel 4 are going to take on a big issue, they've just got to do it with so much humour. Really excited about Ackley Bridge coming back in a new format, bringing it back in half hours to sort of better reflect the way younger people watch and consume drama. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of of really exciting things coming up and a Christmas animation. Quentin Blake's Clown should be a real treat for us all and by God, we're going to need it this Christmas.
0: Piers Wenger, Polly Hill and Caroline Hollick speaking to Stephen Armstrong as part of Content London On Demand, the virtual version of our annual international TV conference. The full video version of that interview is available on our site right now to C21 Pro subscribers. There'll be more from the event in the podcast next week. But till then, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry developments by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.